what's going on, anesthesia nerds. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast. Today, we have a really fun episode. Uh, We are featuring RVT speaker extraordinaire consultant, Sanani Ratnayaka. She is so amazing. Let's run down this bio really quick because we can spend a lot of time on this bio because it's pretty big. She's done a lot of stuff with her career. Um, Not only is she a RVT and has experience in small animal practice, but also she has worked with an industry. She's worked with corporate. She currently is um, director of learning. Is that still correct? Director of learning and engagement. Great. And she is really known for her sessions and coaching in areas like leadership, in team building, in communication, um, customer service, compliance. She is a mentor and a coach for RVTs all over um, Canada and the U.S. Well, actually, all over the place, really. Like, we're very pro-RVTs. She has spoke at the Uncharted conference. She has spoke for AHA. She has spoke really all over. So hopefully you have had a chance to hear her speak and get some words of wisdom. She is a past president of the Ontario Veterinary Technician Association. um, And she was actually, you guys, this is pretty badass. She was the first (laughs) non-DVM president of the Toronto Academy of Veterinary Medicine. Like how cool is that? Yes, RVTs making waves. So we are talking to Sanani today about Exactly that, making waves, making change, how we as technicians can be the change that we're looking for, how we can find fulfillment and longevity in our careers, and how everyone in the clinic can work together to really elevate and utilize technicians to the fullest extent. Thank you so much for being with us, Sanani. Oh my gosh, that that was uh, that was awesome. To hear you say it all out loud made me blush, so it's a good thing this is just a podcast and you can only hear me, but uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super, super excited. Shout out to all of the RVTs and LVTs, CVTs listening to this, and DVMs and everyone, but also specifically Canadians. I know you're out there, so what's up? <laughs> we do love, uh, we, we love all of the, I mean, we love all the countries and anesthesia nerds, but I have a fondness um, for Canada myself growing up, um, or not really growing up, really college, um, being near uh, the Detroit area. Oh, yeah. Um, fun fact, you guys, the Canadian drinking age is lower than the United States, so us Michigan college kids would take a little drive over the bridge <laughs> <laughs> on Friday nights. <laughs> Dude, you could buy a, I don't know if you could still do this in Canada, but back in the day, you could buy a two liter of beer. <laughs> for, for like four dollars so again uh 19 year old tasha thought that canada was the best place ever um you know for like seven dollars you can get a two liter of beer and uh you know a couple of uh you know the maple creams from timmy's and yeah nice nice it's good it was a good time it's a good time uh, in my life sounds like a sounds like a great road trip <laughs> it was a solid friday night i'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lie uh <laughs> I'm not saying it was good beer. No, no. Yeah. You get what you pay for. It's all good. Exactly. But you were 19. Um, so like. <laughs> we were, yes, exactly. We're like, woo, this is living. Now, you know, now my husband and I, we were having this conversation recently that we were like, you know, we went out and we, we yeah, just listeners, listen, I, I'm past 40 now. Okay. So there's no way, no world that I should be staying up this late. But my husband and I went to this like warehouse party in Brooklyn. And it was very late at night, way later than we should be. Um, 
but we're out. And we both were like, you know, water really is the adult beverage. Like, that's how you know that you're like an adult <laughs> when you're like, now nah, just have some water. <laughs> so good. I'm a tea drinker. I, I have like a whole thing. Like, I don't love water. And I, people always look at me funny. I am also now over 40. And uh, yeah, people look at me funny. They're like, what do you mean you don't like water? I'm like, I just don't. But like boil it and throw a tea bag in it. I'm good for days. So yeah, so that's, but you're right. Like we're, it's different now. Yep, we're it is different now. Up. Yeah, exactly. Shout out to all you 20 year olds holding it down. Have fun. <laughs> for, on, have fun for us. All right. So let's get into it. Um, you know, Sonani, I know that you work a lot with, with different animal hospitals, you work a lot with management, with leadership, etc. And you're personally an RVT and have experience on the floor as an RVT. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, because this is not going to be a case-based discussion in this podcast, I really want to pick your brain and, and use your expertise in kind of change and leadership and etc. One of the things that usually gets thrown at me after I have done a lecture or a conference is that I will inevitably get an email from a technician that's out there that's really frustrated, that has maybe gone to a conference, got really excited about trying out something, let's say a new anesthetic technique or even a new anesthetic drug that might be out there. And they take it back to their practice, this idea, and they get completely shut down no, we've always done it this way or, you know, something along those lines. And they aren't able to put into use this new information that they've learned that they were so excited about. Yeah. And I find that they write to me and they say, how can I convince people to like, let me try a CRI or let me try a new technique? You know, when technicians come back with these new ideas, et cetera, how can we implement or even just, you know, start the conversation about making some changes and why is it so hard for us to change? So I, I love this, right? And, and part of the reason I love this, this question and this whole idea is let, okay, let's be honest. Cause it's just us, right? Um, how many of us watch someone else go to a conference, come back with an idea and they're like, Oh my God, I want to do this new thing. And it's not something that's our jam. It's something else. And we're kind of like, yeah, like we're, we're good. This, this works. We're happy with the fact that it works. You know, in vet medicine, we're pretty um, risk adverse. Risk is risk is an issue, right? For us, if we know something works 90% of the time and we have a good sense of the 10% where it won't, that creates a lot of safety for us and confidence in our ability to, to work and function properly, right? When we try something new, there's a big unknown with that. And immediately our brain is like, ah, danger, danger, right? Like, it's like, oh, this is new. I don't care that someone else said it's a good idea. What if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work for us? What if we don't do a good job with it? And it, and it sends red flags up. It's one thing if it's a topic or a concept we're passionate about. I know we got a lot of veterinary anesthesia nerds on this call, on this podcast. And so (laughs) I know if it's like an anesthesia change, we're all like, this is our jam. Like, let's keep upping our game. But, but the challenge is that like, there are going to be people who didn't get to go and see you speak, Tasha, right? To get that energy and feel empowered and get excited about it. And so they're hearing about it secondhand from someone um, who, who can't necessarily kind of, you know, debrief the entire talk. It's like, we have this great idea. And it's like, well, hold on. All of those red flags are going to go up right away. 
And so it's like, okay, we have to figure out how do we get taken seriously? You know, one of the things to think about is who are you approaching? Because depending on who you're approaching, your approach has to be different. Simon Sinek, I'm sure you guys all are familiar. If you're not, look him up. Simon Sinek talks about start with why, right? But something that's really important to remember is there's a reason you're excited about this new concept you've learned from uh, Atasha Talk, right? Like, and, and yet the person you're talking to that why might not resonate with them. If you're going to a manager or a business owner, someone who's more looking at the numbers and data and the finances of things, then they need to be talked to in a way with, that aligns with what they care about, their motivations. So when you're recommending this change, is it gonna be more expensive for us or less expensive? Is it gonna mean a longer anesthesia, a shorter one, a safer one, in what ways? Does it mean we have to purchase something or not? What will it do and how will it achieve goals that that person cares about, not just who you care about? Doesn't mean you can't talk about the things you care about, of course you should. But make sure that you're aware that the person you're talking to, different things might resonate for them. So if it's more business-minded or manager-minded versus if it's another person who's like medicine, just like you are, wanting to hear the medicine case for it, maybe they need to see the studies, the research, maybe they need to hear a little bit more about the evidence in order to be convinced. And we have to be careful to not like completely get off the rails the minute someone's like, mm, I'm not sure. Like, that's okay. You were there at one point and you got convinced by hearing the narrative that goes with it. Don't get defensive. Don't get frustrated. Like just stick with it. Think about people's motivations, right? I think that that's something that's just so important to consider. Yeah, I totally agree. And for me, I mean, I don't know if anybody out there is, is similar like me, um, at Anesthesia Nerds, there's a reason that I partner with people like Darcy and Steven. It's yeah. because I, in my personality, and my husband knows this all too well, is that I am an ideas person. Yeah. I get excited about an idea. I want to do it now. I don't want to wait. I don't do you know what I mean? Like yeah, totally. <laughs> that's why we have a lot of unfinished DIY projects around my house. <laughs> um, that's why I have seven different jobs because I'm get really jazzed and I want to do it now. I have people like Steven and Darcy with me, right? It's important to have members on your team that are like, wait a minute, we can't do it now. We need to take these steps. We need to do this research, et cetera. And I think that for me, one of the things that I had to learn early on is that you're right. Not everybody is going to be like guns blazing. Yep, let's all do it now. Yeah. It's going to take time. And especially when it comes to anesthesia, where it has a degree of scariness to it, it's going to take time for people to change and come around to new ways of doing things because let's face it, this is not like picking a wall color for our waiting room. This could be life and death here. Yeah, exactly. And that's the risk piece, right? Like, you know, I don't know um, if people are familiar, but like there's, um, there's an acronym SCARF, right? For when it comes to change and why people are resistant to change. So the SCARF acronym stands for status autonomy or sorry I guess I should spell it correctly status <laughs> certainty autonomy relatedness and fairness and so if there's a change that's being suggested and I think personally one or more of those five things are going to be threatened for myself so my status within the team the certainty of something going a, a specific way my autonomy so how much control do I have over it the relatedness, how is it going to impact the way in which we're working together or my relationship with other people and the fairness. So who gets to do it and that kind of thing. 
then I might be more resistant. And so when you're thinking about how you're approaching something, that's another thing you can consider is, is, is any of this going to get people's backs up? And what can I say in advance proactively to call those things out? Like when we're trying something new, certainty is not something we often have, right? But that's kind of the game. But saying like, I know we, we know that this might not work right away, or I know we might run into some hiccups. I've thought of that. Here's a plan. Or I want to be involved in the training for it. Or I want to do a little more research. Or I think we could just do this on Wednesdays when it's a quieter surgery day, when we have the most confident surgical team on, right? And we'll just test it out. It doesn't always have to be all or nothing. And I think we get we get excited and then we want it to be all or nothing right away. Like, but sometimes people can't function like that. Just like you said, like they want to see some evidence, they want to go slow, they want to minimize risk. And, and so do we, we just go about it different ways. So I think sometimes thinking about those things as well can be really helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. Now let's kind of, you know, switch gears just a little bit and let's talk about the team and technicians, because again, kind of like jumping off of this, you know, trying to create change. Um, I, I do see that technicians get frustrated and if they feel like they're spinning their wheels and their brains aren't being utilized, um, they start looking elsewhere, right? Yeah. We know this, yeah. um, in your experience with going in and working with teams and working with different places and then building on your experience as a technician on the floor, you know, I think that at least in my experience, the way that we do things in veterinary medicine is once you reach a level of seniority, you just go into management. Yeah. That's the way it is. Yes. Which, which I have thoughts on. <laughs> I don't think everyone, just because they've been there for 12 years, is going to be a good manager. It's not automatically the next step. Well, it shouldn't be, but it often it shouldn't be. right. Yeah. So, but for those technicians who they don't want to go into management, um, mm -hmm. you know, what are some things that you see as ways that we can leverage and utilize these techs even better? What are some tips you have for techs who are right now contemplating their place in the clinic? And I think it's so much about what, what do you actually want? You know, you're right. Like there's this narrative. I remember even in school and like I was in school, it was, you know, 21 plus years ago now. So, but like, even then, like it was like, and you'll know you've made it when, right? And, and, and it's like, but management isn't the goal for most people. Most people don't want that. So I think first and foremost, it's a little bit of self-reflection. Like there's a couple of things that individually as a person, you need to reflect on what, what are your goals? What do you love? If you love relationships with clients, educating clients, things like that, going into management where you're going to have far less client contact, very different thing, right? But maybe there are other roles within the practice that you could develop into or a role you could create for yourself that, that would allow you to do even more of what you love and even more of what you're good at or what you want to be better at. And it allows you to be more successful and, and feel fulfilled, but also bring something to the hospital. You know, often I'm talking to people and they get their backs up as soon as I say this is a business. And like, if there's anything I want to do, I want to make that, like, I want to normalize it. Like, it's okay. Guys, we all work for businesses. They make money. We make money. Like, it's it's a good thing. And, and genuinely, we're helping. We're helping people. We're helping pets. That's the way it should be. And it's okay. And it's okay to think about it as a business. If you can appreciate that it's a business, then you can look at how can I use my skills, my knowledge, my expertise, my passions to 
build a better business, to optimize the business, to, to contribute to it differently. That could be training new people and developing plans to help with training so that we have even more people capable of more things to help us generate more revenue day to day, help more patients, help more clients, right? So it's really thinking about what can I do to contribute and how will that align with my goals? That might be in the practice you're in now. It might mean you have to look outside. It might mean you want to do a Tasha move and like have various side hustles, right? Like, and, and that's cool. Like we live in now a day and age where there's so much stuff that you can do that's remote and virtual that you can do from home, that you can do on the weekends or just two evenings a week or something that will still feel like you're contributing and, and creating value for people and pets. Um, and I keep saying people and pets understand like I want to help as many pets as possible as an RVT. I haven't worked on a patient with the patient in a really long time, like, like decade, over a decade now. And, and I don't think that it makes me less of an RVT and I don't, and I thought I would miss it a lot more than I do, but now I've wrapped my brain around the fact that if I can help as many people in vet med as possible, they're going to help even more pets and hopefully all have had a small hand in that in some way, right? And so it really is all about your mindset and what you're passionate about and how you want to contribute, but really looking at what's possible. Like, I mean, Tasha, you and I both, we have really different careers, right? We have lots of different things that we do that aren't traditional. And so sometimes it's about if you know you have a superpower, how do you want to leverage it? How are you going to bring it to people? And sometimes that means like creating your own path. Oh, I 100% agree. And I, I do love the idea of technicians kind of, you know, empowering themselves and looking outside of the box. I just actually did a talk at WVC um, yeah. for... Um, Zoetis. Zoetis actually has a really nice, um, like setup for osteoarthritis, um, and a, a really nice, um, like CE that you as a technician, or I guess as anybody in the vet clinic can take. Um, but I took it as a technician and what I kind of garnered from it was not only did I learn, you know, get my CE credit and osteoarthritis and chronic pain management, but I have a lot of love for these chronic pain cases, yeah. but I started to think, okay, from a technician perspective, if we look at just these chronic pain patients, we could assign, or if we had somebody in the clinic, if we had a technician that was really interested in chronic pain management, we could have them be the point person for all of these patients that have osteoarthritis. That could be a work from home day for them where yeah. they are just going through, doing the rechecks, doing the calls, writing out the notes, you know, and then taking those notes to the clinician and saying, hey, you know, this dog maybe is not doing so well on the Rimadil. Should we think about adding amantadine? But it doesn't have to be the doctor doing those client communications and writing up everything. Again, that, that can be a tech. One of the techs Boy. can be the chronic pain point person. They can do a work from home day. There's so many possibilities for technicians especially now after COVID off the floor. Yeah. And I think we get in our own way a little bit, right? Like you got to really check your own self-talk and your own sort of um, perceptions of like where the boundaries are, because what technicians were doing 10 years ago, 20 years ago is not what they're doing now and is not what we're capable of moving forward. Like 
we could push all day long. We should be used differently, like full utilization of technicians and full utilization of everyone else on the team as a result of that, right? So that we're all doing the things that we're capable of. And to your point, so much of the client conversations and compliance could be driven by people like us. We have the education, we have the passion, we're pet owners, we're knowledgeable, we're relatable. Like, you know, you want to talk to clients and they're talking about their real life and scenarios where maybe they can't do it the way that we are recommending it because of the kids and the this and the that and competing priorities. And how many of us understand those things, right? So we're this relatable person that understands and can talk to them and, and really identify what's possible for pets. We just kind of have to get out of our own way and think about what's possible instead of being like, oh yeah, that sucks. Someone should do something about it. It's like you are someone, like you are someone. So what can you do, I think is a really important thing to consider. Oh, 100%. So let's switch gears just a little bit from the text that maybe don't want to go into leadership to... Let's talk to the techs that are thrown into leadership. Like, let's, yeah. you know, because I feel like that happened to me. Um, it's happened to so many technicians I know where they were too. just like, guess what? You've been here for 10 years. You're the OR supervisor now. And yeah. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> um, which again, I enjoy and I really, I've done a lot of personal like education and growth around team leadership, right? I'm a huge Simon Sinek and we'll put links to his podcast, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, right. Um, Adam Grant, um, Angela Duckworth, all these people I'm trying to read and get information because I do want to create that team dynamic that everybody succeeds and is there to grow themselves within the business and grow the business, et cetera. But you know, in your experience going out and consulting and all of the things that you have seen, what is some advice that you can give to these technicians who have been thrown into a leadership role and aren't really sure what to do? First of all, like you, you have to be honest with yourself and, and remember that like leadership and like management type roles, it's a completely different gig. So you could go from being like the best, most exceptional technician on the floor, best doer, everyone looks up to you, you know the answers to everything. And now you're in a role where you don't know the answers to like 50, 60, 70, 90% of the things coming at you. It's a complete learning curve. Don't be hard on yourself. It's a different job. You have just taken a completely different job and not one likely that you went to school for. So first of all, be careful not to be too hard on yourself, right? Identify, so what are the skills I want to develop? Think about and really make sure. Like, So sometimes if you're like me, you get thrown into a leadership position without a job description. So get mm, clear on what yes. you expected of you, right? Like talk to the person who's put you in this role. And, and it, it doesn't need to be a super formal job description. I know some people free, they're like, oh, we don't have time for that, blah, like, okay, but let's get down some expectations. What does success look like in my role from your perspective so that you're not spinning your wheels trying to be successful and having the person who you report to or who's put you in this role watching you and be like, that's, that's not the job. That's not what I hired you to do. That's not what I wanted from you. So getting clear on what's expected of you so you can focus is important. Another thing I see that gets missed all the time, Tasha, is like, so someone gets elevated on the team, 
but no one actually talks to the team about it, right? Like properly. Oh, yes. And and so otherwise, either it's left up to like me as the technician that got elevated to go and kind of explain it to these people who yesterday were my peers and today are reporting to me. Awkward. Like, so having a conversation when the job is offered to you and, and listen, maybe you're like three years in and this conversation still didn't take place. Now's the time. Okay. There's no time limit on this, but going to your leaders and saying, I think it's really important that the team understands what this role is about, why you've done it. Why have you put me in this role? What you think I bring to the table, what, what they can expect so that I can then have a conversation with the team and say, I'm nervous guys. Like I know I don't know everything, but here ultimately I want you guys to be successful. So what do you need from me? Right? Like let's talk openly. You can give me feedback. How can you create a culture of feedback? So it makes it easier on you to go to your team members, especially if they were recently your peers and have conversations that will need to be had. And it makes it easier on them to talk to you when something's not working or they're confused without it being awkward. Right? Cause so often The failure comes from just people tiptoeing around things, being awkward, not communicating openly. So how do you create that dialogue early on to set yourself up for success and out the idea that like, I know I'm not going to be perfect right away. Please be patient with me. Talk to me openly. If I screw up, I'll own it, right? Like demonstrate the skills that you want your team to have and skills that probably got you into this role, personality traits, like, you know, being intentional, being dedicated to your role, seeking to learn, right? And understand like the education and taking ownership of your work and accountability, like these things, they're so important. You want to just model those behaviors so that even if we screw something up along the way, people know that your intentions are good. They understand that it's a learning curve, like, and they're going to cut you some slack. Yes. And I think, and you know, hopefully you can speak to this and let me know your opinion, but I also am a very big advocate of once you're in that leadership role that you ask your higher ups or your CEO or whoever, your hospital manager to get you some CE or even send you to a course or a leadership development program. Because that's, again, what I see is that we throw people into leadership that they just don't have the management experience. They don't have the tools. And I think that that sometimes sets them up for failure and they get burnt out really fast. Absolutely. Like, and we get frustrated with ourselves, right? We perceive ourselves as failing before we've even started. Like we haven't even given it a chance, but we're so used to being successful. Often those of us that have been elevated into other roles, it's because you were doing such a great job. But what it means is you go from being on top of the world, being successful, knowing your jam to like a situation that's uncomfortable. And now you're outside of your comfort zone. You got to learn, start from scratch. Like you're the newbie, essentially. The challenge when you get into senior leadership roles is there isn't always someone to learn from, right? So it's not like going onto a team where there's like six other technicians and I'm the new RVT, new grad, and there's all these people to learn from. In the leadership roles, it is often not the case. And often when you're getting put in a management role, the owner isn't actually aware of what the manager is supposed to be doing. So they have a hard time leading you and guiding you. So that's why setting clear expectations is important. The other thing is, you know, it's hard for people to take you seriously if you're not taking yourself seriously. And, and I say that with love and kindness, but like, you know, we do need to make sure that if we want people to show us respect and if we want to be respected, that we 
behave in a way that that creates that environment. You know, there's there's a book called um, From Bud to Boss, and uh, it's a pretty cool read. It's a pretty easy read, but it talks about people. It's not just for vet medicine, but people who move into a position of leadership after being a peer. And one of the things they talk about is who gives you the power to lead. And it's the people, they empower you to lead. And if you are not giving them a reason to, then it doesn't matter what your fancy title is. You can be like, I'm going over here, follow me. And they'll all be like, no, we're going this way, thanks so much. And like, you have no power, right? So really think about, it is a, a, a service role, right? We are, it, as managers, I'm often talking to my managers and saying, listen, like your job is to elevate the people on your team. And if all of your team is failing, that is an immediate indication that you are as well. And so it's about creating those relationships, getting clear, taking yourself seriously and showing up in a way that gives people confidence and allows you to feel confident too, right? Part of it is faking it till you make it a little bit. And so if you tell yourself, I'm not going to be good at this, well, then you've just completely done yourself a disservice. You've got to go in there feeling confident and telling yourself, I'm going to give this a fair shot. I'm going to figure out what I don't know. And I'm just going to go piece by piece. And there's so many people out there like that will help you with this. There's so many different support, like it's such a supportive environment if you look for it. I know not everywhere in vet med can be as equally supportive. I think sometimes we're pretty hard on each other, to be honest, but like, oh, yeah. there are, right? <laughs> like I, like we could do a whole other thing on oh, that. Oh yeah, I mean, like, have you ever, have you ever oh, worked, man. have you ever worked a specialty or like ER and then they're talking about like uh, referring DBMs. There's yeah. like just some, yes. you know what I mean? Like we're I really know. hard on we're, uh, we're not GPs. Nice we're really hard on uh, each other as technicians. Um, and like, we just don't know each other's stories, right? Like you don't know, exactly. you don't know the whole deal of what someone else is going through, what they've learned or not learned. Maybe you've had the privilege of doing more CE where someone has not. That doesn't mean they're trying to be bad or trying to not be as good, right? So I think just really understanding and appreciating some of that as well, right? That allows you to be a stronger leader and, um, and it allows people to, to look up to you differently and appreciate you for who you are differently. Yes. And I love what you said about, you know, modeling that behavior as a leader. Um, I recently had a colleague reach out to me. They were put into a newer leadership position and said, you know, I'm having a hard time getting the team on board. I'm having a really hard time getting the team to, you know, kind of go along with what we're, what we want to do mm-hmm. um, and some of these initiatives. And the first question I asked was, do you and the other members of leadership model that behavior? Mm-hmm. Like if you're at, you want people to go and make sure that they take a lunch outside of the ER, or you want to make sure that they leave on time, you want to make sure that they get a work-life balance, are you modeling that? Well, if you're telling, you know, the team that you're, you know, really tired because you you're just working all these 14-hour days and you're voicing on the floor that you never get a lunch, that's not modeling the behavior. You know what I mean? No. There's a disconnect there. Well, and there's so many little things like that, right? Like the way we choose our words, right? When you bring something to the team, if it's like, okay, guys, now before you all complain, if you're going to start like that, you better believe everyone's mindset's like, oh God, what's Sonani about to tell us, right? Like, whereas <laughs> if I'm like, okay, 
I have, I have this pretty crazy idea. It's gonna be amazing. Just bear with me, just hear me out, right? Everyone's like, all right, what's going on, right? Like, guys, I think this is something super exciting we could do together. How are you positioning it? What language are you using? And how are you setting yourself up for success in the language you're using? Are you aligned with the other leaders? Or are you going to them and saying, okay, Dr. So-and-so said I had to tell you guys that we have to, like, that's no good, right? You're undermining the credibility of each other as leaders. And then you're creating an us versus them, which at some point will come back to bite you, I promise, right? So it is, it's like, you're right. There's so many little things like that around modeling behavior, being the type of leader that people can look up to, like not undermining each other's credibility, not calling people out in front of their peers, right? Like little things that allow you to be just that much more successful and you know creating structure for people is really important right like there's there's another little thing that we we commonly use at, at vet alliance um and uh it's called a system cycle um and so at the top and, and i can give you a copy of this so we can put it in the notes but like at the if you picture a cycle at the top is the goal right so it's like what is the thing we're trying to achieve and then it goes around and it's like okay so we have this thing we're trying to achieve what is the tactic we're going to try who's accountable and responsible for actually doing the work with that tactic, implementing it. Not that everyone on the team shouldn't be aware, but everyone who's responsible for part of it needs to know. And then we go through a period of measuring and monitoring. So once we've started this new thing, maybe it's a new anesthesia protocol, once we've started doing it, we first of all have to make sure we're actually getting into the habit of doing it and doing it properly. Then we need to assess, is it working? Are we achieving the goal or not? If it's not, then there's this other checkpoint for consequences and feedback. Do we need to tweak the tactic? Do we need to tweak who's accountable, responsible? What do we need to do to actually end up back at the top of that cycle and have the goal achieved? When we have a system like that and we're constantly talking to the team about, okay, here, here's where we are in the stages of implementing this change, when we can see that laid out that way, then it gives people more confidence to try something new because we've all been in a practice where it's like, we're doing stuff that someone implemented 15 years ago. That person who wanted it that way has left like 11 years ago, but we're all still doing that way because we always did it that way and no one even mm -hmm. knows why, right? So using a system cycle allows us to, if it's not working, be like, guys, we should stop this. This is terrible. It's not working. And then we are only actually focused on things that are actually achieving goals we set for ourselves, things we want as a team. So little tactics like that, when you're in leadership role, even if you are, don't feel confident in your role yet having these these tools and creating structure for the team so that you're in it together is so important oh i i totally agree and i love what you're saying about again making sure that the team is all in it together that we all have clear communication as to why we're doing the thing mm -hmm. um, is so important and i love going back to what you said about not setting up and us versus them because i have to tell you tell the listeners um i was in a management role at a place and one of the senior a person up above me uh came to me we were talking about scheduling and making sure that the basically the team members weren't overworked and i had volunteered to do a couple evening shifts to make sure people weren't overworked and the senior person had said to me, you know, Tasha, you have to stop being so empathetic with your team. You can't just let them walk all over you. You're, you know, you can't think of yourself as with them anymore. You're up here with us. Mm. And I knew I needed to quit that job. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> That's all. Like, do you know what I mean? When you just yeah. have that feeling where you're like, oh, man, 
this is not the collaborative team environment that I thought it was yeah, going to be. This is not and yeah, yeah. This is not. And I was like, oh, there's no part of me that wants to be above them. And I'll put the above in air quotes. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, no, this is not. Nope, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's so hard, right? Like, I mean, I think about, you know, um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they first move from being a peer to being in a leadership role is the is the language piece. Like, we're used to, you know, hanging out in the treatment area and someone makes a comment about something. And, like, even sometimes you know in your heart, it's like, oh, that wasn't very nice. But we're pretty quick because we, we do have a lot of empathy and like, you know, we just want to, we want to avoid conflict and we're pretty quick to just kind of be like, yeah, I know what you mean. Right. And just kind of agree. Right. We do a lot of agreeing with things where in on a different day in a different moment, we might've been like, I don't know. Do you really think that it wasn't that bad, but we don't, we're just kind of quick to be like, yeah, yeah, totally. The problem when you get into a leadership role is you, you are creating an us versus them. Someone comes to you and says, Hey, you know, that new technician Sonani, like she's blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. I think she might be lazy. And if we're like, yeah, I know I saw it too, to their peer, that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Our job when we move into these like more senior roles is to really look at what's the evidence and not to take sides so quickly. And so you have to be very mindful of that because you're endorsing something now with a leadership hat on. You're giving that person more kind of, um, I don't know, confirmation than you probably should that they're right when they might not be. And it's your job to give people the benefit of the doubt and really look for facts and evidence first. So it's like, okay, I hear what you're saying and these examples are really important. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. I'm gonna go look into it and I'm gonna find out because it could be the new person is like not doing these other things because they think they're not supposed to or they're waiting for someone to tell them to or whatever, like we just don't know. So seek to understand, go and ask and talk to them and then bridge that gap. And maybe they are, maybe they're hiding like in the kennels on their phone, like we've, we've seen those people too, fine. But then you can hold them accountable, call it out, make a plan but we want to be fair in the way we do it. And so like, yeah, again, with the words, right. And modeling the behaviors, you wouldn't have wanted someone to say something about you in passing and have everyone jump on it and be like, yeah, that person, right. Like it's no good. So like, how can you elevate the culture of the practice you're in? Like all of us have the ability to do it. All of us do. Right. So what, what can you do personally? Yeah. Such good information, man. I feel like we have just covered so many things. And if, <laughs> if we could, if we could get people to implement these, uh, man, uh, what a great veterinary world we're living in. Um, I mean, I'm very optimistic. I always say that, uh, you know, certainly I have my days where I'm like, forget you veterinary medicine. I'm gonna go yeah. work at Starbucks, uh, or something like that. Uh, but, I do love veterinary medicine and I see the dedicated and wonderful people. And I, I will say that I am starting to see a shift in we've always done it this way approaches to management and leadership and a more collaborative, you know, clear expectation, talking to each other environment. Um, Maybe it is finally all the millennials and the Gen Zs, you know, because we do believe in going to therapy and talking it out and stuff. Yeah, more. like it, yeah, yeah. not having that getting it in there and the secrets, right? It's like everything's a little bit more transparent. And like, I agree with you. Like, I think ever like we all have our days, right? But I also think, you know, there's there's so much good in what we do. And we're so lucky, like, as like, let's just talk about like as technicians for a second, like 
being an RBT myself, it's like, it is not a job. It's not like, and then I'm on the floor. It is like the, it's the key to like all these possibilities. Like it's a knowledge base that I have. It's experience that I have that I can apply to all kinds of things, whether it's a desk job, an office job, a virtual job, an on the floor job, a management job. Like there's so many things you can apply your knowledge to. It is the beauty of being a technician. And so I do think like, we just have to all be committed to being the change we wanna see. Like we have to stop being like, I can't believe vet med is like this. And then if enough of us just say, we want it to be different, it will be inevitably. We just have to do that. So, and people like you are doing that. So I appreciate that. I agree. And people that are listening are going into their clinics and they're doing it too. Yeah. We appreciate you guys. So uh, thank you so much, Zani, for taking the time today to kind of give us some of these pearls of wisdom, hopefully for some of the technicians out there who want to start their own path in the clinic or maybe are just getting started in leadership, feel a little bit better, have some tools to go forward and and do their best work. Um, If people are interested in seeing what you're up to, uh, where can they find you? Are you you speaking at any big conferences soon? Where can we see you? Um, Amazing. Thank you for asking. I am actually, uh, let me think, uh, in Canada, I'm going to be at the uh, BCVTA, the technician conference in the spring. I'm going to be at the CVMA conference this year. And I'm also going to VHMA. So I'm coming down to the US uh, later this year. So those are big ones for me. So um, yeah, I'm super excited to be there for those. I've got, um, I am the Director of Learning and Engagement at Vet Alliance Global Vet. So Canadians, if you're out there and you want more information on that, let me know. I have Motivatum Consulting. Follow me on Facebook, like all of that good stuff. But yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I think there's lots of us that want to do do good in vet medicine. And anything we can do to like elevate the people, support the leaders, like make the change and be the change we want to see. I'm all about that. So I can't wait to connect with anyone that's interested in connecting. I love it. And guys, we will put all of Sanani's information um, to links to all her stuff, as well as the books that we talked about within this. We'll put that in the show notes. So if you want to do some further reading, uh, thank you so much, Sanani, for being a guest on the Anesthesia Nerds podcast. We hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody.